You're listening to episode 39 of the National Centre for Writing podcast. Every week we talk about the writing life and discover exciting new projects. I'm Simon Jones, it's Wednesday 10th of April 2019 here at Dragon Hall in Norwich, and today we're chatting with Charlotte Higgins, who is one of our selected authors for the International Literature Showcase. The showcase curator Elif Shafak describes Charlotte as an author with magic in her pen. From ancient subjects she conjures living text, vast conversations about who we are today and why the stories we tell really matter. You can find out more about Charlotte and the other showcased writers on the website at nationalcentreforwriting.org.uk forward slash ILS. We begin as Charlotte and our programme director Peggy Hughes are busy discussing breakfast, productivity techniques and Twitter. But have two breakfasts. I like to have two breakfasts. Charlotte, two breakfasts. Second breakfast. Second no. breakfast is the most important meal. I have of the two day. breakfasts as well. Oh, yeah. do you have a second breakfast? Was it the pair? Well, I've started doing this kind of incredibly grotesque, like really nasty regime, so that I get some writing done. Go so, on. desk at seven thirty, and then, then I've started this Pomodoro system. Have you ever heard of this? Oh, yes, here where you press the twenty-five minutes yeah. of intense concentration. Yeah, and then you five go. minutes of. Just again making a cup of tea. So what is this an app? Pomodoro is sort of just no, as a No, it's just a method and blissfully it is in fact recommended that you use a manual I mean I use my phone because I, I don't have a a kitchen timer, but it recommends you use a kitchen timer, like a mechanical device. It's a bit regimented, isn't it? Yeah. Does it work? It's it. Well, that works for me because I can spend, it's, it's radically reduced the hours that I work, mm. which okay. is great. So you're more productive in the time you're working. I love a bit of process chat, though. It's interesting because I'm not, I don't write. Well, I've given so. up, finally I've given up Twitter, you see, and you? it's immensely You're still there, though. You don't really tweet. I... I've retweeted a few things about our events tonight out yeah. of duty and, oh, you know, enthusiasm, yeah. of course. Yeah. And I've retweeted something to do with a piece I'd written for The Guardian, which came out. But um, I have given up anything? I have given up, guess, going into the endless torrid flow, which is But did you do amazing. that anyway? Because I actually, I'm on Twitter and use it a lot, but all I do is tweet. Oh, there's a big massive magpie outside, by the way. Look at that. Is there another one? There's a nice one. There might be. I really love magpies and I won't hear a word against them. I don't like one of them. Um, but I, I have it's never engaged in the kind of, you know, kind of political, big thready, back and forth, arguing with people stuff anyway. I think that's where the time kind of drain is. Oh, it? I can, I can uh, you know, minutes can pass while I watch people doing that to each oh. other and oh, yeah. get sucked into the latest kind yeah. of doom-laden theories about Brexit. Okay, yeah. And it, a composer friend of mine came and stayed with me last week and just said, it's so easy to give it up, just give it up. Just stop and it, I yeah. just thought, I'm just giving it up. Okay. Done. Although I'd rather talk about poor Magpies, and Magpies. Yeah. But in service of the project, which is the International Literature Showcase. Um, hello, Charlotte Higgins. Hello, Peggy. So nice to see you. It's lovely to um, be here. I guess I just wanted to, yeah, I wanted to kick off, obviously, by asking you about your writing. Um, maybe just, yeah, maybe if you could tell us just a little fast clip through the books that you have written, just the titles and a little bit about the intentions behind each. Ooh, well, um, gosh, I've never done that before, um, because I I sort of tend to divide it into two parts in my head, so there's before my book Under Another Sky and after my book Under Another Sky. So my first two books, which I'm very proud of, were very quickly written, um, you know, fast and furious um, 
books about aspects of the ancient world. So the first one was about, I mean, it took me about six weeks to write, I'm ashamed to say. It was huge fun. It was about how to improve your love life using Latin poetry as your guide. And it was a kind of skit on self-help books and you know, women from Mars and men from and rules. Yeah, yeah. It was like the rules, but using Latin poetry. So tell us. And it's probably a good thing that it's now out of print because I think it just, since the Me Too era, actually, it's, you know, I don't, you know, I think I read a lot of that very male-voiced poetry about yeah. um, the love of women in a, in a very different way. Mm. So, but anyway, that was huge fun to do. And the second book was was off the back of that, and it was um, it was a it was a guide to why um, uh, ancient Greek culture was important and interesting, worth thinking about now. So the first one was called Latin Love Lessons, and the second one was called It's All Greek to Me. But they were fun books, but perhaps not especially ambitious, although very important to me, particularly the second one, because that was a sort of, that was a kind of almost like a coming to terms with things that I had, things that I felt that were very important to me, thinking, uh, thinking about and with the ancient world in one way or another, um, and just and, and wanting to kind of communicate that and express that, and in some ways... In some ways, actually, funnily enough, coming to terms with my education or sort of being able to um, express my delight in and love for lots of this stuff without it being sort of sitting in that world of higher education. Academia, you, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. And they but, often do, unfortunately, classics. We can maybe come back to that. Yeah. But Latin, Greek, they, they, they operate in a different plane to... Or some people might say they, they do or... Yeah, maybe. I mean, for me, it was a sort of personal thing. It was about extract. You know, it was about sort of re. I suppose just re reconfiguring my my relationship with stuff that I ca I cared deeply for, but didn't really know how to talk about with civilians. If you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. um, I mean, that's a kind of weird way of putting it. Mm. But then I wrote this book under another sky, and that was much more. Um, Right, I'm now going to I'm, I'm going to write a grown-up book um, um, that is going to is is going to try and do something that I I'm, I haven't read before and um, and I'm really going to care about every sentence um, and it's going to be it's going to be important to me really important to me and um, so that was a book about our relationship with well. It was about our, yeah. It was about the encounter with the idea of Roman Britain, and the way that idea of Roman Britain has resonated in culture, in our culture, in British culture since, I suppose, the medieval era, um, right up till now, and the way that our relationship with the kind of deep past has changed. And it was, it was about, um, it was about identity, and it was about, it was about Britishness. Uh, which of course, this you know the idea of Roman Britain has kind of reacted with modern ideas of where we are at different points in our history um, to express different ideas about identity. I mean, clearly, you know, England, Scotland, and Wales um, uh, um, did not exist <laughs> um, in any meaningful sense um, for the Romans. And I was writing that book during the Scottish referendum campaign, so all these things were coming into focus. Um, the, it was about landscape, 
it was about how we encounter a landscape that is incredibly storied and um, ancient and um, full of monuments. I mean, not necessarily impressive monuments. I mean, Roman Britain is sort of hilariously um, unimpressive in some ways. You know, you, you have to kind of convince yourself to fall in love with, with sort of funny little rubbly remains in corners of car parks. But that's sort of, for me, part of the joy. Yeah. But you know, you you start, almost literally stumble over these bits mm. of uh, incredibly ancient, an ancient part of um, our landscape that you know in no way could be said to be romantic or impressive. It's just a, a bit of rubble in the corner of a car park, but it's but it's incredibly interesting and yeah. and freighted and with meaning and you know all of that. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So that was that. But then there was a kind of bit of a sort of handbrake turn because. My editor at The Guardian, um, Alan Rusbridger, who was then the editor of The Guardian, kind of I mean, literally tapped me on the shoulder, actually, and said, yeah. um, asked me if I would like to do, spend a year working on thinking about the BBC for a series of essays for the paper, which we would then turn into the book. So that's what happened. I wrote a book called This New Noise, which was about the history of the BBC, or rather it was about it was about the present of the BBC informed by its history. I mean, to be fair, I think I used exactly the same technique in the book about the BBC as I had in Under Another Sky. <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I wanted to ask you, though. Is there that kind of sense of a, of a commission? Was it a committee? I mean, it was always yeah. going to be a book. How, how, does that change how you... I guess you've just said it doesn't really change how you went, went about it. It was a curious project because it was always a hybrid between journalism and book writing. I always knew it was going to be a book. So I had in the back of my mind, this, this needs to have, this needs to at least aim to have an existence beyond the immediate moment. Um, it needs to do something different from all the amazing media reporting on the BBC. What, what is it that I can bring to this, um, aside from the fact that I was given a huge amount of time? And I thought, actually, the thing that I can bring to it is very deep reading, um, a kind of a, a sense of the institution's past. Um, I had this idea that if I understood exactly why the institution had been founded and with what principles and ideals, that would be incredibly illuminating, and that turned out to be completely right. I mean, that was that was completely fascinating. Um, but I mean, it was a very different project. It's a it's a crazily complex. Um, tentacular institution that's very hard to get a grasp mm. on um, and has been full of extraordinary characters. I mean, that was a huge part of the fun and also trying to... <sighs> the BBC has produced what people call the big beasts of the BBC who very often are male and they've all written their memoirs. So it was over the years, you know, since mm. the 20s. So it was, it was quite a challenge and something I wanted to do to... I mean, obviously, to read those books and think about those people, but also to try and, um, you know, talk to people's secretaries, find really interesting yeah, women. Yeah. And there were amazing women. There were amazing women in the early days of the BBC before it kind of became too bureaucratic and um, after the war, really. It was actually harder for, for women. But in the 20s, when the BBC was this tiny, you know, when there were two dozen people and um, they were all bohemians. Yeah. Um, and quite sort of Bloomsbury-ish or they were half sort of Bloomsbury and the other half was sort of 
you know, former army captains. Well, yeah. everyone had been in the war. There was all sure, there was yeah. sort of all that going on anyway. But it, it was it was full of incredible people, including my oh. favourite character in the book, Hilda oh. Matheson, who is a wonderful tweed wearing um, 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 inventor of things like the Week in Westminster. Who was who spent most of her BBC career writing amazingly passionate love letters to Vita Sackville West on BBC notepaper. And I was able to read all those My heart. Things. What fun. It must have been very fun to get into that, those, arch you know, the research, the archives. But then you come back to sort of a more ancient time again red, in, in Red Thread. Um, my heart, in the end, is, is, although that was a fascinating thing, my heart isn't really in organisations in that way. I, I, I did feel I needed the poetry and I needed the, the long extent of time um, in which I find that my imagination ranges. And also I wanted to do something, I wanted to do something almost the opposite from that book that was f f formally more adventurous and um, contained all sorts of different ways of writing sentences and... <laughs> And so um, I wrote a book called Red Thread, which is about the idea of the labyrinth. And it takes as its heart and soul the original Cretan myth of the labyrinth with Ariadne, Theseus, the Minotaur, and then winds its way off into discursively into all sorts of um, different stories um, all about the labyrinth, but at the same time, the book is itself a kind of a, a labyrinth. It it meanders. It does. I hope you mean that in a good I, way. I do. No, I do. Terrifying. No, no. I, and I do. You're and meandering. I, I, but, well, I mean, it has it, to. Yes, it, of course. It but has to but be. how fabulous the the form and the content are as one. You know, it kind of it, it, reading it is is an experience labyrinthine in its own. You know, um, that was the hope. I, I mean, I, I saw you do an event with um with Nick Barley in Edinburgh. Where you almost invented a new literary form for 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 the event as well. It was sort of like um, random questions f from a hat. Yeah, Nick. Um, Nick was determined to make a labyrinthine event, and he devised this thing of choosing choosing words. I mean, you know, not random words, but words that were connected to the the ideas in the book, but then putting them in a specially knitted red hat. <laughs> <laughs> and pulling them out at random, which was which was great actually. Uh, all, it, uh, there was um, a certain frisson in the showbiz because you have to. Well, there was this. You know, it was really interesting because um, it's all very well doing that, but you don't want to completely bewilder an audience. You know, the the dear paying audience who've who've paid to get some sense out of you. So there was a certain amount of. Oh, you know, how, do, how do we make this apparently random, I mean, an actually random event I like work? I liked um, the sense of risk. It had a great charm to it as, a, as, a, as an audience, uh, as someone in the audience. I, I thought it was great. Um, I want to then follow on from that sense of, you know, the journalistic writing and, and, and your role at The Guardian and, and your, your passion and love for the ancient world and so on. How do those two types of writing, this history and breaking news, as it were, you know, mm. how do they feed each other or don't they... Or how are the processes different? Yeah. Um, well, the processes yeah. are hugely different, and they definitely feed each other, I think. Um, so, in my job at The Guardian, what I mostly do these days is write long form, um, so f 
5,000 word essays for the long read section, which are very, very closely researched um, and heavily reported and um, very, very, very highly edited and crafted. So they are like doing mini books almost, although I, certainly the, the thing that makes that not true is the fact that they conform to a very tight pattern and form um, and they are super super highly edited my books are never that, that edited I don't think books can be you can't have seven or eight drafts no. of, a, of books like I mean editors would never yeah you know exist as humans um, but and, and in the in the books offer me a huge degree more freedom and and also the kind of I like thinking about the past or very old stories. And I think, I mean, I think the combination of those two things is, is, a, is something that really sustains me. You know, I do like the esprit de corps of a newspaper, like the feeling that you're pulling together to produce something new every day that reflects there's a mirror of the world you're in that day. Um, it's That's an amazing That idea feeling. of the newsroom is quite, you know, that kind of energy and deadline. And, and, and a newsroom is a beautiful thing to say when, I mean, this sounds awful to say, but, you know, when, when a prime minister resigns, or you know, when, when, some, when something very, very serious happens and it's remarkable watching... Um, everything click into place. It's like a well-oiled machine, it would have yeah. to be. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, newspapers are probably quite bad in some ways at kind of medium-term thinking. I think they're really bad at that. They're probably, you know, they've had to get better at long-term thinking, and they are, um, they are absolutely brilliant at thinking about the next six hours. And it, it's a kind of wonderful thing to see. I'm, I'm not in the newsroom anymore, but I sit very adjacent to it, and you just feel that energy fly off. And, you know, I have colleagues there who are so brilliant and interesting in so many different fields I sit opposite Polly Toynbee, Aditya Chakraborty, Gary Young sits on one side of me. Um, I'm surrounded by these geniuses, essentially, really extraordinary journalists of enormous integrity and idealism and passion about the things they do. They're brilliant at the things they do, and I get so much out of that. I'm so, you know, I'm so stretched. <laughs> um, um, and then... But I'm, I have this introvert, so I, do, I am one of those people who likes... I'm very happy being on my own yeah. in, in, a, in a room. I'm very happy um, doing my own thing. I'm very happy telling stories at a different kind of pace and a pace that's very much set by me. And I'm very happy um, relieving myself of the duty to think only of today. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you've 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 touched Charlotte on um, you know amazing women and and sitting near geniuses and, and 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 these wonderful creative inspirations. And we're here, of course, because you're about to do an event with Elif Shafak, who has selected you as part of her ten, you know, remarkable women that we should all be reading and and, and listening to. What does that mean for you and your and your work? I suppose. What what was it like to to hear that you were part of that list? Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, no, kind of extraordinary. I mean, it didn't occur to me for a second that Elif Shafak even knew who I was so far as thought I was any good. I mean, you know, that is one of the, one of the things about being a writer is you know, the affirmation is, um, 
you know, there's moments of affirmation, like, very few and far between, actually. Um, you know, 99% of your time is, or at least in my case, is sitting at home thinking in a solitary way. And, the you know, it is, it is a thing of solitary pleasures. <laughs> you know, the pleasure has to be in the writing or else there's no point. Um, so anything on top of that is a sort of extraordinary um, extra. And, um, yeah, really delighted and... and that's an amazing that's an amazing group of women to be in and such a sort of brilliantly eclectic list and I'm 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 really looking forward to um to being part of that event tonight and you know she's a great woman I mean you know it's just intensely flattering we are living in turbulent times brexit's absolutely on everyone's mind i think global politics are what they are i mean who what what is the role of writing today where where do you position yourself in that and secondary question to that is which which writers do you turn to in in turbulent times? Who which who, as a reader? My own writing in turbulent times. Well, I um, I think it's fairly straightforward in a funny way. The journalism is a, you know sort of answers for itself. Although I am myself not necessarily uh, writing about political crisis or Brexit head on, I'm always writing about it in some way, even though recent pieces of mine have been about things like Stonehenge and, um, and profiles of artists. I mean, they're always about the times that they're in, they're always about politics, and they sit within the great sort of banquet of things that um, The Guardian produces every day and make up this portrait of the world. So that's sort of obvious. I suppose what's less obvious <laughs> is the role of my own writing in relation to political crisis on certain times. I'm sitting at home at the moment rewriting Greek, some Greek myths. Um, but I mean, which on one level sounds as if it couldn't be less relevant, but on another level, <laughs> clearly, you know, those myths are with us because they exist to be reactivated by any fresh reader, any fresh rewriter, every fresh generation. So whether I like it or not, I am infusing them with my own ideas and thoughts about the world and readers will, uh, you know, when and if they are published, well, they should be published if, if, if things don't go terribly wrong. Um, touch wood. Touch um, Will also infuse those with their ideas and thoughts about the world. And that's the whole point of myths is they're kind of evergreen and they tell us something. They, you know, they're often extreme and dark and about kind of war and exile and um, and loss and having no home. I mean, all these things that we will read, we will read into from our own time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And as for, as for reading, I suppose that goes two ways. I, I like to be challenged and I do like to, I, do, I enjoy the sheer pleasure of being an eclectic reader. So Sarah Moss's Ghost Wall, which is both about Iron Age Britain and about patriarchal threat very much in the present. Um, I absolutely adored 
Anna Burns's Milkman, Me which too. I... Oh, good, because I, it, I really I wanted it. to ask you oh. about that because you are from Northern Ireland and, yeah. you know, I'm not. Um, oh, but it's, it's yeah. just... I, I, I was delighted to see how well it's done. Yeah. And, that's, and the, the question of difficulty was a very interesting one because to me it just sounded like my mother on a big right. tirade about someone that I'd gone to school with's cousin who married the next-door neighbour. You know, that kind of yeah. impacted... I'm so pleased type, that it, yeah. it, it, it read like that for you. And, and for me, who... I mean, I don't know that argot or that way of talking at all, but... For me, it was it just I just walked into that book with joy. It just it just sort of galloped along. It was beautiful. It was so funny, so clever. It, ostensibly about nineteen seventies Belfast, very clearly in many ways about now. So yeah, I also read a lot, lots of John Buchan and. Nothing wrong with Bucken. <laughs> I've just read the new Mark Hazard, which is coming oh, out in May, which is glorious, a wonderful, wonderful, rollicking, romantic, you know, ro I mean, deriving from an ancient romance. I mean, it's, it's, it's yeah, yeah, kind of dark, beautiful book. Um, I'm about to get my, uh, get my teeth into the new Ali Smith. Um, oh, lovely. So in the words of Dr. Zeus, oh. read, read, read. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Thanks for listening and thanks to Charlotte for coming on the pod. The International Literature Showcase is a partnership project between us and British Council. And do head over to the website to find out more about it. There's some amazing writers already showcased. If you're a regular listener, we'd love to hear from you. What kind of thing do you like to listen to on the pod? Which have been your favourite episodes? Let us know on Twitter at Writers' Centre or by slinging us an email to info at nationalcentreforwriting.org.uk. And if you're not a regular listener, then please do subscribe, rate and review the podcast over on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts or wherever you happen to find us. And sign up to our newsletter at nationalcentreforwriting.org.uk. Thanks again. Keep writing and we will catch you on the next episode.